is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing the first leg of the most epic superhero franchise in movie history, the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, has been a box office juggernaut producing blockbuster after blockbuster since 2008. It is an ongoing series of superhero movies existing within a centrally planned and interconnected narrative universe that tells its own episodic stories, crosses over characters, and periodically comes together for large meta stories that unite the entire thing. Marvel Studios, which runs the show, plans and executes its superhero movies in batches or phases, which set the tone and audience expectations for a few years at a time. Phase one is where it all begins, with Iron Man and the Hulk in 2008, Iron Man 2 in 2010, Thor and Captain America, the first Avenger, in 2011, and finally, Marvel's The Avengers in 2012. The thing is, phase one wasn't publicly referred to as such at the start. Instead, it began with just a single superhero movie, Iron Man, starring Robert Downey Jr. and directed by Jon Favreau. Like so many superhero movies that had come before it, Iron Man carried a lot of fan expectations from those who already knew the character from comics, animation, games, toys, and more. And it also raised skepticism from those who watch Hollywood itself. Was John Favreau, a relatively untested director, really right for this project? Could Robert Downey Jr., a guy struggling to escape the shadow of his demons, really pull off the character of Tony Stark? Such questions seemed silly once Iron Man actually came out to widespread acclaim. And with the release of the Marvel movies that followed, it became clear that not only was the burgeoning MCU working, it was changing what we could expect from cinematic superhero storytelling itself. To date, the MCU has turned out 23 movies with an average box office take of almost $1 billion each. It has turned a previously niche cinematic genre into something that draws A-level talent, showcases bleeding edge special effects, and most of all, dares to set up long-form storytelling in a medium where every project is mercilessly scrutinized by investors, critics, and fans alike, and where anything less than huge success can doom the plans for a franchise's future. I have been a Marvel fan for my whole life, and I've considered myself lucky to be at the, you know, kind of the ground floor, uh, enjoying the Marvel Cinematic Universe from its first opening weekend. So I'm especially excited to talk about it now. So let's get into it. With me today is Vitaray technician, Chris Crenshaw. I can do this! S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and Galaga specialist, Tom Hespos. That man is playing Galaga. Stark Industries congressional lobbyist, Joe Pace. I am Iron Man. <laughs> Everyone, welcome. Joe, we're going to hand the mic right off over to you to talk about your favorite movie from the MCU <laughs> and your favorite moment from your favorite movie. Take it away. I feel like it's the first game of the World Series and I'm the leadoff hitter and the pressure is just enormous to, to deliver right off the bat. This franchise is Christmas morning wrapped up with Easter, wrapped up with my birthday, wrapped up with Thanksgiving. I mean, I, I, I can't even, like you, Bill, I, I grew up as a Marvel fan reading the comics throughout the mid and late 80s and watching the Spider-Man movies when they came out. And then when, when the MCU arrived, it was what, what's going to happen, right? And is Robert Downey Jr. going to be able to pull off Iron Man? And the guy, you know, he's had his own history of, of, of substance abuse and, and problems. And I remember taking my, my wife and my, my oldest son was just a couple of months old. And my brother, who used to read these comics with me, and we went and we were like vibrating in our seats. <laughs> 
right? Like ready for this movie to come out. Yeah. And my wife, my wife is sitting there like we we burned our first babysitter on this, and she turns to me and she says, "This is like a, a cartoon. This is this is animated." And I'm like, "No, no." And then when the the opening credits start and it's Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, and Jeff Bridges, she goes, "Oh, it's 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 a real movie." I'm like, "Yes, it's a real movie." And then like, like a movie type movie, like a grown it's a, movie. It's a movie movie, right? And then this movie lands and it is, it, there's nothing like it ever. This movie, and I think Bill, you made this comment on, on our webpage earlier. This is a thunderbolt. Robert Downey Jr. from the first 10 minutes where he's in the Humvee and he's, he is Tony Stark. Yeah. He's oh, Tony yeah. Stark. And they, they take this, they, they're, they're able to adapt it from the jungles of Vietnam to the deserts of Afghanistan and it's seamless and it's perfect. Yeah. And here he is and he's got the drink and he's, he's Tony Stark. He's a playboy. He's talking about going 12 for 12 on the Maxim cover girls. Not quite, but you know, the, yeah. fortunately the twins, you know, the uh, December was twins and he's Tony Stark immediately. Robert Downey Jr. Embodies Tony Stark. It is yeah. right off the bat within the first 15 minutes of the MCU. We have, Lead off hitter, clean up, clean up hitter, everything perfect the way we, and 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 frankly, so a jerk. like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. but it, but it's okay. Yeah, Iron Man, who was a B plus level Marvel hero, all of a sudden is the tentpole. All of a sudden yeah. is everything we could have possibly wanted. He nails it within the first fifty minutes, and God bless John Favreau for his direction. God bless Robert Downey Jr. for his his acting. Yeah, it's perfect. It is perfect right off the bat. And for the next two hours and seven minutes, we are in for a ride like we never thought we'd see it. And yeah. it is, it's hard for me. I watched it again today with my 11 year old and he's loving it. He's loving every second of it. And he's read the comics here and yeah. there from what I have and the, you know, the collections and the TPVs and everything else, but he's watching it. And this is his Iron Man. And this is, this is his guy. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. Like I, I watched it trying no. to pick out like, is there anything with this that's not, that doesn't hold up 12, 13 years later? And there's nothing. It's it's just as good now as it was then. Yeah. He gets blowed up and he winds up in the cave and here he is with the ensign and he, all of a sudden, this privileged guy who's always had everything handed to him, as we see later in the MCU, all of a sudden he's confronted with a situation that he can't buy his way out of and what happens? The very first moment, the terrorists come in and they say, we want you to build this missile for us. And he says, no, I refuse. Mm -hmm. His very first thing that, that, that he's confronted with, he says, no, I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to say no. And what do they do? They, they mess him up and they torture him. And so what does he do? He builds this iron suit and he kicks their butt and he winds up a superhero. And so later on, you know, we get the MCU. The MCU is as much as anything, Tony Stark's journey. Yeah. And, and later on, we get, and he's the first Avenger. I know we get Cap and the first Avenger from the 40s and World War II. I can tell you get, where to stick that, but, uh, you know, we try to keep this We'll clean. get there. We'll get there, Chris. We'll get to the moment. <laughs> we'll get to the moment of punching Nazis. We'll get there for you. I promise. I can't wait till but, the day we actually do Captain America Civil War. We have an honest-to-God Civil War in the podcast over Captain Iron Man. That day will come. But anyway, Joe, back to you. We'll get there. We'll get there. I promise. But here's, Look at their here's promise. the fact that they took they took Iron Man yeah. from his supporting cast in the comics and they make him the tentpole of the, the cinematic universe. 
I'm telling you right now, if Robert Downey Jr. doesn't nail it, if John Favreau doesn't nail it, we don't get an MCU. If it's not perfect right out of the gate, this franchise never happens the way that we yeah. end up experiencing it. But but they do. They nail it. They get it right. They get it they, from the from the, from the standpoint of him riding in the backseat of the fun V. Can I take a picture with you? Can I throw up a gang sign? No, no, no. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's fine. Right. Yeah. And when Yinsen gives up his life and lays his life on the line so that Tony can be a superhero, and, and the, the look on Stark's face and Robert Downey Jr.'s face, he realizes I need to be here for a reason. This isn't about just saving my own butt. This is about being yeah. something more and being something bigger. Yeah. That to me is the praxis of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden it's this, like be something more than you are. And that is to me, the thematic resonance of the Marvel Universe is be something more than you are. Be the hero inside of you. And that to me is the, the resonant theme of Iron Man. And then of course, beyond that to MCU phase one is be something more than you are. And Tony, of course, goes back and he goes back to, to you know, the, the West Coast and he says, we're not going to make bombs anymore. Hmm. And Obadiah Stan is like, are you, are you kidding me? The stock's going to drop. Tony doesn't care. Yeah. He doesn't care. All of a sudden he's like, you know what? I need to be more than that. I, I, I'm, I'm here to be. And in my heart, I know it's true. He says that at one point in the movie, he says, in my heart, I know it's true. And that to me is the, the organic beginning in the, in the, the real fertile ground from which the MCU springs. And if, if Iron Man doesn't get it right, it doesn't happen. Yeah. But Iron Man gets it so right. Yeah, it does. And, and, and I'll, I'll throw that out to you guys and you can you know, self-flagellate about how awesome it is or, or, or try to complain about it, but I don't care. Iron Man is so good. Robert Downey Jr. is so good. And we're off and running. I think Iron Man was the perfect movie to start this whole thing for a number of reasons, not the least of which was Iron Man is just freaking cool. But also Iron Man was one of the characters we'd never seen any kind of screen iteration before, right? We had seen some really bad versions of a lot of the other heroes, but we never, they just, nobody ever had the ability to do an Iron Man. It was just too technically impossible. That's the biggest reason that this worked, that we haven't seen it before. You're right. It's visually so beautiful. It's just so beautifully done. Like you said, from the very first moments, Robert Downey Jr. goes on this full court press. Like it's, we get this Tony Stark charm offensive that like had me rolling in my seat. He's in the, he's, and he's just going a mile a minute. And like you're seeing once again, why the older you get, the more you realize that charisma is not a dump stat, right? And you see this, <laughs> he's going off and you're like, I love this guy. He's the perfect Tony Stark. I don't like to look behind the curtain of how my favorite movies get made an awful lot. A lot of people really do, and that's great. But I just love to kind of get caught up in the, in the magic of it and to sort of spend my bits display so wholly, I kind of forget about how tough it is to make a movie and how much that goes into it is just utterly unromantic <laughs> and all that, right? I just prefer just to enjoy it on the illusory front. A lot of times people get hung up on, well, does this person in real life look like the character from the comic? And that's probably the least important factor, really. It's like, can they inhabit this character? And the character, Tony Stark, has got a really interesting psychological arc. He's a guy with demons of different kinds. He's faced them different ways. And Robert Downey Jr. is a guy who knows that. He's gone through a hard path. He had come to this movie having come out of a, a long darkness himself. And he just, he harnessed that lightning so beautifully for this role. And he was, he just inhabited Tony from word one. It was fantastic. On top of that, the one thing I love about this movie, and this is something we see throughout the MCU, by the way, but this sets the tone is that there's a humor 
and a lightheartedness to this that is never it never feels like oh some writers just had to work on a couple jokes and hijack the tone of the movie for a second it's just there's always a sense that there is an opportunity for humor if you let it there's a scene when he's like trying out his 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 tech right he's like in his like car garage he's trying to you know get everything working and the one robot comes by he's like no no don't dust me like, like he's always pointing out and the robot's like oh i wanted to dust you <laughs> like you just like you feel for this little drone i was gonna blast tony but like that kind of humor is evident throughout the MCU. It's definitely evident in Iron Man, but it keeps things light. It keeps these things from collapsing under the weight of themselves because comic book movies so often take themselves so seriously, they stop being fun and they become leaden. I remember coming out of Iron Man, I felt like I was flying. I mean, I was so, like, I had gotten so used to going to comic book movies. Well, I had gotten so used to going into comic book movies just thinking, okay, please don't suck. Please don't suck. Please don't suck. And coming out and going, this isn't even that. This is just a legitimately freaking awesome movie i was like what did i just see i was not ready you would walk into a superhero movie and you know the, the review is already being written in your head like okay mm -hmm. right stars giving him an extra half star if you've already read the comic book you know like that was a situation with super you know superhero movies for the for the longest time and it was yeah. just such a breath of fresh air to like walk in and have this thing be so like lighthearted, like you say, Bill, and like, you know, half the fun being like trying to catch those like under the breath, Tony Stark quips that are hilarious, you know, like <laughs> so many and it's so funny part of it. And then just yeah. walk out of there with like a breath of fresh air and be like, yeah, I could have taken anybody to this movie and they would have really loved it. You know, like yes, don't have yes. to be a superhero fan to love this movie. And it was fantastic. Yes. There is no way to overstate how important Robert Downey Jr.'s light comic touch is to the MCU. It is it's stamped all over it. Well, we look at it like, like we're at a time, this is 2008, right? We've seen Vince Vaughn do Swingers and Wedding Crashers. We've seen the verbal diarrhea happen and that, 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 that snappy patter. We're at a time in cinematic history where that is right in the wheelhouse. And here's Robert Downey Jr. who's better at it than anyone. I don't really care what is. anybody says. He is so good at that. Yeah. At delivering the 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 charismatic aside, the leading man who is also the, the, the comic relief all at the same time. My wife is there who could care less about she has no she has no rooting in yeah. the, the Marvel comics the way we do. Yeah. And we walked out at the end of it and she goes, Yeah, that was good. And I'm thinking, yeah. this, is my, this is my wife who doesn't care about any yeah. of these characters, has never read any of it, has no has no history with any of it. Yeah. I'm sitting there, I'm geeking out. I'm like, she's gonna pull me down like the Macy's Day Parade with a rope on the Pikachu yeah. balloon. And, and I'm bouncing off the ceiling and she's like, yeah. yeah, that was pretty good. And I'm like, yeah, no, it wasn't pretty good. This was perfect. Yeah. My ex-wife will argue about with me about which Marvel movie was better. Like she had no, like yours, no engagement with it at all. She has strong opinions, <laughs> strong opinions. <laughs> The closer that a movie can hew to the the fidelity to uh, uh, the source material, the the first two Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, right? Like they were so good because we had nothing else, right? And yeah. they were they they were so close to the comic source material that we loved. This movie and Jeff Bridges, by the way, the the, the dude. He was Longer's so good iron. as Obadiah Stane. He gets overlooked <laughs> he a lot because he died and stayed dead. But honestly, he's he was so he good. was fantastic. What Iron Man proved is that a lot of times with comic book movies, and especially with the fans who were kind of this like advanced guard on determining whether or not this movie worked or not, is that 
And you mentioned fidelity to the material, Joe. And a lot of times people get hung up on the actual plot details of previously written stories. And no, it's about fidelity to how did those stories make you feel? And why do they make you fall in love with the character and all these things attached to? Why do they make you forget the bad and remember the good? What is that thing? And this movie, Iron Man, so nailed that thing about why we would ever love Iron Man in any of his iterations. And it was just a bullseye from orbit. And it just it was just, it just nailed it so perfectly. And then it was like, great, now do now just keep doing this. Okay. And somehow they did. And that's the that's the magic of it. I just can't get it. It's um, really hard to divorce the success of the MCU from the casting. And we'll oh, go yeah. through this. Yeah. We'll go through this, oh, right? Sure. Like I get it. Like I, I we'll go through this. But let's let let's cover that when we're talking about Thor. The writing. <laughs> well, the writing. Yeah. The direction, the art direction, the photography, it's also the casting, good. all yeah. of it. They, yeah. If they don't, if they don't nail ten out of ten, yeah, I don't know that we ever get to Infinity War and Endgame. I don't know that we do. I, I, we I do. think you're right. I think you're right. I think I think Iron Man. It, I, and I, I'm not sure. You know, I think there was an aspiration, a desire that it wouldn't be great if we could just nail this and just keep doing these things in perpetuity. But it's not like they had things lined up for 21 movies afterwards or whatever. Yeah. It, it, it was like, let's just make sure this works. And so I don't know if it carried the weight of, you know, the whole world of the MCU rides on you, John and, and Robert. But, just did. but there was a notion like, if we do this right, we can do it again. And boy, they, by the power. Well, compare it, did. compare it, Bill. Compare it to X-Men where the casting was great. Yeah, the writing sucked. It just, it just didn't. Yeah, it just, it was missing something. It so. didn't hit, right? Whereas here we've got the casting is phenomenal, the writing is phenomenal, the direction is phenomenal, and here we go, we're off and running. And people ask oftentimes, what's the difference between MCU and Sony and the other iterations, right? The difference is you nail ten out of ten. You you get it right across the board. And here we go. My, my goodwill with this franchise is at such an extraordinary level. They'd have <laughs> yeah. to do like four completely shambolic movies in a row for me to start going, I don't know, maybe the fifth one won't be so good. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're going to have to do man. They, they would, Callum. I mean, Kevin Feige would have to come to my house and shoot my dog at this point, honestly. And then, it'd have to and be then, the juggernaut with, the, with, the, with no shirt. Yeah, right? Right. Like we have to, exactly. to go down that road. Exactly. I'm not going to talk about Hulk, which is okay, because that's probably the weakest of all of them. But I'm going to talk about Thor, which is where my moment of truth comes from. You talk about casting, it stars Chris Hemsworth, who absolutely, he inhabits Thor, I think, just as every bit as well as Robert Downey Jr. inhabits Tony Stark yes. and Iron Man. He's just the ideal Thor. I didn't really know him as an actor much before this. I absolutely adored him as Thor. He was so fantastic. And I love the Stellan Skarsgård was fantastic. Natalie Portman was fantastic. Uh, Tom Hiddleston as as Loki was fantastic. You know, Unreal. the whole cast was fantastic. I love the visualization of Asgard as this place where magic and science are in fact the same thing. And I just completely fell in love with the version of it. I am in all the way to this. This movie is is a bit like Iron Man in the sense that it's really about this guy, you know, this spoiled brat who has to be made to understand that being a hero isn't something you inherit, and being a hero isn't something that comes easily. Being a hero is something that you choose, and it involves hardship. And involves doing things for reasons that are way beyond yourself. Iron Man has to do that because he gets punished into it physically. Thor gets punished into it socially, right? He's at the point where he believes he's going to be named next king of Asgard. Odin is like, yeah, no, hang on. And, you know, Thor acts recklessly. He starts a war with the Frost Giants because he's just a vainglorious kind of buffoon. And there's this great scene where they get in this big fight and Odin just goes, yes, I was a fool to think that you were ready. Thor, Odin's son, you have betrayed the express command of your king. 
through your arrogance and stupidity, you've opened these realms to the horror and desolation of war. You are unworthy of these realms. You are unworthy of these titles. You are unworthy of the loved ones you have betrayed. I take from you your power by my father and his father before. I, Odin, all father, cast you out. What an epic verbal smiting. I mean, it just, it was just such a great, you know, Holy. Anthony Hopkins. Oh my gosh. Seems Anthony like- Hopkins. Can we can we take 10 seconds and just acknowledge the fact that Anthony Hopkins is one of the best actors to ever live? Here's the thing. We talk about the tentpole factor. Had Iron Man not been Iron Man, I don't think you would have gotten a guy like him exactly. to sign on to a movie like Thor and, and a director like Kev- Kenneth Branagh, no, no lightweight himself, to direct Thor, right? And I'm so you, right, you start yeah, seeing yeah. this like heavyweight talent putting forth these movies. And that scene is such a fantastic scene that absolutely just blows me away. It's like unworthy. <laughs> the way he spits the word unworthy, it's it's Anthony so, Hopkins it, can fight off a line with nobody else. Oh man. But you know, that's his, not, his version of the bounty. I mean, like yeah. you've got Anthony Hopkins and Natalie Portman playing supporting roles. Yeah, supporting roles. Like, how is this possible? Right? So that's my favorite moment with Thor, but it's not my moment of truth in the movie, but it does set it up. Thor is cast out from Asgard. He's stripped of his powers. And then, of course, you know, Odin whispers to Mjolnir, whoever should be, you know, proven themselves worthy, you know, will lift this hammer and, and you know, carry the power of Thor, right? He kind of, he practically kisses it in, into the hammer. It's a really cool scene. And Thor, of course, lands in the middle of the South American Southwestern desert. He goes through this journey of like, the stripped hero having to, you know, deal with various humiliations and to learn that he's not all that and to kind of be broken down before we can build back up again. And there's this moment where they discover his hammer is not too far away, but shield has gotten there first. And they've kind of cordoned off the area. He infiltrates this little compound and before too terribly long, things go pear shaped and he just starts punching and kicking his way through, through the whole place. And he's just like laying waste to shield personnel left and right. And like, you got Hawkeye, and Agent Coulson watching him, like, we're going to take him out. And Coulson's like, actually, I want to see what happens when he gets to this hammer, you know? And Thor's like, ha finally. Yeah, and there's this hammer. And he's like, right on, come to Papa. And he grabs his hammer and he can't lift it. And all of a sudden he realizes, like, wait a minute, even though he's endured humiliations and, and all that. I'm that's not worthy. Yeah, he still, well, still doesn't make him worthy. And he's pulled back and he's interrogated after. But the moment of truth is in the scenes after where they're trying to talk to him. He's not answering. And they think he's just being a silent intransigent prisoner or whatever. And it's not, it's just that Thor is, he's going on inside his own head. And yeah. it's this notion of it's he's one thing. Identity crisis. Yeah. It's one thing to be told you're unworthy. It's another thing to see it for yourself. And he's realizing. It's another thing to be among, among the peons of the, like this world that's beneath you and you're, you're there. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but, but I don't think it's so much that for him. I think it's a matter of it's, he understands that he is not worthy of his own hammer. You know, like he, he realizes he doesn't even know what he's supposed to be now. You got to understand Thor is like, he's down here. He's in Midgard. And all of a sudden he's going to deal with the fact that he's not as worthy as he thinks he is. He, he doesn't understand yet what makes him worthy. Yes, exactly. And, and that, that scene where we see him turning around, it's like, it's like, it's like Tony in the cave. It's like, that's that, it's that pivot moment when a hero gets brought to their lowest ebb and this now, all right, here's their road back. The character of Thor as done by Chris Hemsworth was so much more than I'd ever seen in the comics. He was funny. He was human. He could be vulnerable. We see him get jabbed in the butt at one point and get knocked out and in the hospital. Sexy as hell. You know, he gets backed into by a car, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. He's, he's sexy as hell, right? <laughs> he's not, he's not, he's not hard on the eyes at all. It's just that moment where he, he, you can tell he's hearing Odin's words ring in his head and it doesn't, it's not a good sound. Thor for all of his power. He's the most powerful hero in the whole, the whole thing 
they needed to really, really drive home what it means to be without power. And I thought they really sold that. And I loved that about this particular movie. And I think Thor is a great movie. I mean, it's a real fun movie. It turns around and it becomes this great adventure. But um, that moment for me- I think it's me, underrated, Bill. I, I, I think it's underrated as well. I agree. Well. It's funny, I watched it again for this podcast and it had been a while since I had seen it. And it's like, man, I forgot how good this movie really is. It's just a lot of fun to, to watch. I believed in Thor, you know, and in a way that I never really believed him in him as a hero before. The moment he throws his coffee cup down on the floor and says, another, another. <laughs> that is, that is a prime example of charisma, not being a dump stat, <laughs> but it, it's just such a character establishing moment, you know, like it. Jane Foster's like, you can ask for another. I just did. No, without breaking the cup. It's like, <laughs> well, people talk, it's people brilliant. talk about, people talk about <laughs> Thor, like, and Wadiki being, cognizant of Thor and his comic potential in Ragnarok, his comic potential is there way before that. And yeah. like Thor is Thor is funny. He is funny. And, and, and Thor is funny and there's a there's a, a self-abnegation that comes with it. And I love the fact, I love, love, love that you've got Natalie Portman on the the heels of <laughs> on the heels of being a a wasted Padme Amadala and, and mailing it in because they don't know what to do with her. And then all of a sudden they don't know what to do with Jane Foster. These guys roll 20 after 20 after 20 with Hemsworth and Downey yeah. and Evans. And they just get, they, they crush it from start mm. to finish with the casting. Think how bad it could have been with, you know, with Hemsworth playing it like a hundred percent straight. Yeah. yeah. Adding that humor element to it. I yeah. mean, they print his words in the comics with, in a different font, you know, like, it, 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 yeah. Just to give it that sort of relief, because you know, there's there's yeah. gravity to everything that Thor yeah. says. He speaks. He speaks in black Yeah, you easily played that to like a oh my god, this is yeah. so stupid level, you know. But yeah. like, but they didn't, and they added yeah. the humanity and the humor to it, and that made all the difference in the world, for, as far as I'm concerned with this yeah. movie. There's an awareness. Really there's an awareness to it, mm -hmm. Tom, and it's it's yeah. just like Thor is is like goofy as hell right and he's archaic and he's a thing and they all kind of look at him like what's going on with you and he's like what <laughs> and it's it's so funny well where that really comes home is when you know the destroyer is rampaging through this little town and he does what he has to do which is he steps up and he's talking to loki through it and he's like brother what i have done to bring you here like i don't know but i am sorry you know but look if you need to take care of me i understand it but you're hurting these people who are innocent like like you're gonna gain nothing from this please just take me if you got and it's that self-sacrifice thing we've seen it in heroic movies and storytelling so many times but again it comes down to execution this didn't feel forced or contrived or it just felt genuine and it felt real. And it felt like this is what he's got to do. And he knows he's going to get splattered for it. And 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 he, he delivers the lines in a way that really feels right. And what's great is it cuts away and you see Tom Hiddleston, you see Loki, he's listening and, Tom, and he's thinking about it. It's like, oh my God, these two guys, by the way, what a great hero villain pairing between the Thor and Loki dichotomy going on is so wonderful. It just keeps paying off. Over and over when he tells stories in the different movies about, you know, like little stupid things happening to them growing up, you know, oh, then Loki turned into a snake. You know, stuff like that is just yeah. like they they had the best and worst childhood growing up. <laughs> but apparently, apparently Hiddleston horns were super heavy and it was hard for him to hold his head up. But Hiddleston was like, no, no, I need the helmet and the horns because yeah. that's Loki. And like he worked hard to hold them up. Hiddleston, Hemsworth, Hopkins, all of them. They sold out to be these guys. 
And yeah. it's hard for me to be more thankful about how much work and how hard these guys yeah. labored to be the characters. How much they respected the source. They um, did. They absolutely uh, that, did. That's what really- Chris, did. you're 100% right. Everybody did. Everybody, from start to everybody. And I think that really matters. When people were getting on Patrick Stewart about doing Star Trek, he was stepping down from Shakespeare to do it. He goes, no, 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 I did Shakespeare so I could do Star Trek. You know, it's like, it was that kind of professionalism, that seriousness. Like, no, 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 I'm going to give it this my all. It's deserving of my all. To see these kinds of stories that have been so marginalized over the years yeah. of entertainment. Like low culture, yeah. And see someone like Sir Anthony Hopkins, like, show up as Odin and, like, take... Just I, freaking just, slay it. Holy moly. <laughs> yeah, you're like, whoo. I think there is a difference in direction with Marvel storytelling versus DC storytelling. I've heard it put like this. DC heroes are gods first and humans second. And Marvel heroes are humans first and gods second. Marvel characters often come from the human angle very first. And so you establish their human yes. dreams, their human problems, their human foibles. And then they and then they assume this mantle of superheroic heroic destiny that elevates and magnifies those things. As a result, though, with the pain and vulnerability that comes with being human also comes humor. And I think that's why the humor is so close to all this. And getting back to Robert Downey Jr., again, to look behind the veil a little bit, you know, great humor comes from great pain. And that man has suffered great pain. So he knows great humor. He understood Tony Stark. Let's, <laughs> he let's understood, yeah, he understood Tony Stark. He understood what it but means to wrestle demons. It feels like so. sometimes the DC stuff feels like the humor is an overlay mm -hmm. versus organic. Well, I think there's something like, magical. Whereas... I think there's something magical going on with Marvel movies. I haven't decoded it. And I don't think I can. Otherwise, I'd be working on them. But you want to talk about a, a character that is brought to life through yet another act of perfect casting. Here comes the human torch. Here, here it comes. Chris, take it away. My, my movie is uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, because Captain America is the best Avenger. Shot He's fired. <laughs> I, know, I didn't want to say anything. Like, oh, God. Make no sudden, no sudden hand movements. <laughs> He's the oldest Avenger? What? He is the best Avenger. He is the avenger he's just good he, he makes decisions based on altruism and doing the right thing and you know we see him getting his ass handed to him you know while trying to wield a shield i could do this all day i could, I could do this do all this day all day and yeah uh, he eventually, of course, uh, as the movie tells us, gets picked to create a super soldier. I'm trying to create a, a serum that will uh, magnify all the capabilities of an American GI. Dr. Erskine has been offered all of these candidates who are, you know, just mighty physical specimens. You know, hey, make this guy better. And he's like, no, 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 no. What I want is the guy with the mighty heart and yeah, he'll jump on the grenade yeah we're introduced to steve rogers you know, in a failed application to enlist this is just a guy that wants to serve his country he wants to do the right thing nobody will let him because he's so unhealthy the list of physical ailments he suffers is is actually pretty humorous yeah like like if there's something worse than 4f he would have qualified for it yeah <laughs> like 9z you're out and boom <laughs> Yeah, he keeps trying because he he feels like it's the right thing. This Dr. Erskine guy, who is a German immigrant, 
who fled Hitler spots him and starts to nurture him. And he realizes that this is the kind of guy he needs for his super soldier program. My moment of truth comes just before Steve is subjected to the experimental procedure. Dr. Erskine comes with a, a bottle of schnapps and he tells him the story of how Hitler approached him and said, Hey, you're going to make a strong, Hey, I'm not really interested. And then this Johann Schmidt guy comes and says, you're going to make me strong. And he gives him the serum and he sees what happens to Johann Schmidt. I, I feel like at this point, I, I don't have to apologize for telling you that this guy's face was turned into a, a straight red skull and he was given greater strength and, and possibly greater intelligence. He was enhanced, but, but harmed. Like this is like dark side, light side stuff with the Jedi. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What Erskine tells him is that I chose you because look, with this guy, the man wasn't ready. The serum amplifies everything is inside. So good becomes great. Bad becomes worse. This is why you were chosen because a strong man who has known power all his life will lose respect for that power. But a weak man, the value of strength. Captain America is so special because he has this moral authority that nobody else in his universe has. He always seems to know what's right. In the late 70s and early 80s, you know, like after Watergate and trust in the U.S. government was, you know, at a, an all-time ebb he became a character called Nomad. He, he took a, a different name. He, he was like, I'm not going to be a Captain America anymore because y'all's values aren't what I stand for. I'm going to have to do the right thing other way. He's almost like the moral conscience of yeah. the universe. Yeah. He absolutely is. And that has to have a purity of origin story or it just does not work, period. You know, the first Avenger is a great movie. It's a great movie. And I love it. It's we, really, we watch really it repeatedly. It is a in my phenomenal household. movie, and I, I got to tell you, I love Steve Rogers leading up to his experience with the Super Soldier Serum. My moment of truth, which I love so much, goes through the Super Soldier Serum, and he comes out on the other side of it. And here's Peggy Carter, and she's like, oh. <laughs> and she touches his, hey. she touches his peck. How and apparently, that wasn't scripted. <laughs> that wasn't scripted. <laughs> Haley Atwell just kind of reaches no, out, and she's like. I got, oh I gotta I gotta touch him a little because that's, that's all Chris. Oh dear. Holy buckets. That's a peck. And <laughs> when you see that scene, when you see that scene, my favorite detail of it is in the background. So everybody everyone always watches Haley Atwell. She's like, oh my chest. <laughs> Take a look at Nurse Thirsty in the background, who's, uh, who's, yeah. who's getting a total eyeful of Captain America, like, mm-hmm, that is some grade A beef, and I like what I see. It is so funny. It is just- she is totally biting her lower lip. Yeah, she absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but, but Captain America's oblivious to it all. Like, he is so oblivious to how handsome and magnetic he is. Because you just don't get him. it. Oh, oh, but Chris Evans, him. you got to understand, Chris Evans has gone through the first third of this movie being not Chris Evans being yeah. you know my favorite effect from the whole series it it works it's uncanny but it yeah. works yeah it does it does it does she's a great character by the way peggy carter oh, to the nines 100 a triple plus love peggy carter oh my gosh if only we had a, a third season of, of agent carter and, and a fourth and a fifth i love that show yes you know chris we're talking about how how good captain america is and, and tom you're talking about how you have to establish it with a really pure backstory i think that the movie the execution of it 
follows through on that and does it in its own way. And there's a moment in this movie, it doesn't get called out a lot, but to me, it really matters because it drives home what kind of story they mean to tell and who they mean to tell it about and who who is doing the telling. And there's a great scene when you know, he's doing the USO tour. He's in Italy. All these guys have been captured. And he's like, you know what? Forget it. And he just grabs his stage shield, gets his helmet. And he's like, I'm going to be a soldier and goes off. And this great rescue scene, right? And it's just this great, you know, he takes out the whole Hydra base and he gets all his guys back. They'll come marching back in formation, right? There's this one shot where there's this guy watching him come back. The soldier is like, whoa. And he's one of the guys who was in the super soldier program. He was one of the big beefcake knuckleheads who yeah. was like, he's a good specimen. He's not the right guy for this. And he was giving Steve all this trouble initially and like just being the kind of the, t- the typical bully in the barracks kind of character, right? And the movie could have stopped and given a chance for Steve to say something smart to this guy or to demean this guy or something. And it chose not to. It deliberately brought this guy in and just let him go, wow, Captain America is the real deal. And that's all it did. That's all it did. It didn't decide to punch down on this guy so we can get back at him because that's not what Captain America is about. Exactly. And bringing it all up together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, and I see that, that scene lands harder and harder with me every time I watch it. It's this little moment. It's this crucial linchpin. And it's these movies are always about these little linchpins that hold things together so tightly there's no seam showing. And I just love the tightness of that storytelling. They know what they want to say and they say it just so so darn perfectly i love it it takes a long time for cap to come into his own like to me the captain america arc is a lot of cap by himself and yes he's the first avenger and he's with the avengers and the whole bit but it's it takes a long time for cap to be the winter soldier is the best mcu movie okay i'm not i'm not gonna agree to that (laughs) i don't agree i don't i do not agree but by the time Cap gets to the Avengers and later, and it's Captain America in charge. You get there, and it, it takes a long time. Well, you set that up perfectly, but so I think it's time for us to go to the next movie. But before we do, Chris, do you have any final words on Captain America you wanted you wanted to share? I want to go back to that moral compass idea because mostly because I'm setting myself up for next season when we do Phase Two. Cap is the guy who knows right from wrong and i trust him in a way that i cannot trust tony or hawkeye or black widow captain america is the superhero who is still human see we're setting up civil war because i trust tony (laughs) Ah. look i i I get where you're coming from but Captain America is, he's the philosopher king. All I can say is this, of the four of us, I know for a fact that Tom and Joe are team Tony and Chris and I are team Steve. And when we get to Civil War- It's happening. It's coming. It's, ha- it's, it's <laughs> happening. Stand down. Bigger than movies, we shall see. But you know what? I'd love to get onto the real, like, I mean, these the constituent parts of this whole cycle are so good unto themselves. And it's, wonderful how they feed into each other and build off each other and I remember watching them i remember thinking are they're they're going to do the avengers aren't they they're and at the end of captain america you will return in the avengers and i'm like are you kidding me that's impossible and yet we got it and oh tom you chose the avengers lead us into this discussion because honestly even among mcu movies 
Marvel's The Avengers holds a very, very, very special place in my heart. And I can't wait to talk about it, but I know you chose it. Please lead us into it. I got to set it up though, because everybody forgets the skepticism that came in with this movie because like this was legit. You were going to have to have lightning strike twice in order for this thing to be a success. Cause it's, it's one thing to like do a bunch of, you know, individual superhero movies. How are you going to wrap it all up in a superhero team movie? Yep. And how are you going to do that with all this A-list talent? And how are you going to do that with like all the source material that needs to go? Like, like I walked into it being like, you know, oh, please don't suck all over again. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was just, I was not convinced that somebody could pull this off. I, I desperately wanted to see this movie. And I wanted to see it, you know, right when it came out. On the day that, you know, Avengers is really hitting, I'm like stuck in the office in Morristown, New Jersey, near this AMC theater that's right downstairs from our office. And I'm like, <laughs> I really hope that nobody notices that I'm going to be gone for like two and a half hours because I'm going down to see this movie. <laughs> and uh, this this is kind of like a special little theater too because I, I went downstairs, like I've never seen anybody go into or out of this theater other than myself. I don't see anybody else lining up for this movie. So I walk into the Avengers. I go straight for the middle of the theater, pick the brand new recliner, you know, right in the center left and uh, sit down and nobody walks in for the rest of the film. I have the entire movie theater to myself for the Avengers. And it was fantastic. (laughs) It was fantastic because like unrestrained and without anybody else there, I was jumping up. I was going, yeah, you know, like I'm screaming (laughs) the rest of the people who should be there. But for some reason, you know, this, this theater is always empty. You know, my moment of truth in, in all this was, like really when I started, when I, when I understood that Marvel could make a team superhero movie and they wouldn't screw it up, like, you know, countless studios had screwed up, you know, the X-Men and, and our Fantastic Four and everything else. And, you know, the whole movie in the beginning is all about, you know, the, the, them not functioning as a team. Yeah. And then you get to this certain point in the movie where it all just comes together at once. And like, the monsters are coming into New York through the portal and you see, you know, like things are just not looking great for New York and everybody's like, where the hell is Dr. Banner? <laughs> and sure enough, here he comes up riding on the motorcycle just as things are getting really bad. Yeah. And you know, the, the Hulk, you know, and Banner does his line about, yeah, I'm always angry and, you know, punches the thing in the face and it all like, you know, falls. This is the first time the Avengers really get the attention you see like all the monsters or you know, all the Chithari or whatever the names are. They, yeah. they start and screaming and everybody's like, <laughs> oh my God, like these guys are, are like a force. And then you get that wonderful 360 shot of all the oh. Avengers like facing out. We're like, all right, we're it's, it's on. It yeah. is on. And like that in the movie, like in the theater, like I got up, I'm like, yes, yes. Cause nobody, you know, nobody's going to tell me to sit down and shut up. There's no, yeah, right. There. <laughs> but that was like the, um, that was that, that was like the moment where it all started coming together. And yeah. like the very next thing you see cat, you know, playing his role, like really, really well, where he's like, all right, you're yeah. doing this. Like you great, you know, <laughs> Tony, you grab, you know, Legolas and bring him up to the roof. And you know, like, <laughs> he gives everybody a role and everybody yeah. just like, yep. All right. You know, we've had enough of this infighting amongst ourselves. Yeah. We're going to do this. We're just going to execute. We're going to do it. Boom. And everybody starts working together and they're like, yeah. Oh, 
yes like it, it, they're working so together as a team the whole thing has been about how they're such a terrible team and yeah. here they are they're pulling it together and and they're making it actually work and like from that moment where you had that 360 shot of all the avengers getting ready to fight together i'm like these guys know how to make a team movie and this can happen and this can happen again and it made me just so happy that this yep. MCU was turning out the way that it was. And it's yep. like, yes, they yep. made lightning strike twice in the same spot. And I was just yeah. so happy to see that after all those years of crummy superhero movies and, and you know, doing stuff to Marvel superheroes that like I, I really, really loved. And this, you know, it yeah. showed so much respect for the source material and it, it did exactly what it set out to do. And again, it was like, Joe, like you said, it's like another 10 out of 10. And yeah. uh, like it just it hit me right here because I knew we were yep. going to get so much more thanks to this movie. Yeah, yeah, I felt my heart explode during, during uh, the, you know that three sixty scenes and and the Avengers score by the way is probably some of the most underrated cinematic music we're talking about because it's the Marvel theme the Avengers score that bah, 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 like it's just mm-hmm. it's just it's just partly lifted for Captain America the first Avenger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously. <laughs> It it is it is a thunderbolt in the heart, and you're like, oh, and they're just yeah, they're circling around them. And you're like, they can do anything, <laughs> you know. And it's, it's comic book moment. It's a comic book moment. But then I think it's also neat is that not long after that, like after Cap takes command and all that, there it's followed by what is uh, a friend of mine who has done a lot of production art in the in Hollywood. Often he'll point out like in a movie, this is what we in the industry call a hell of a shot, right? And there's this hell of a shot. It's all the different Avengers doing their own things in the Battle of New York and just pings from one to the other in this endless tracking shot, right? When you see, you know, Cap and then Hawkeye and then, you know, Black Widow and then Iron Man and then Thor. Like, you never stop seeing an Avenger and they're all doing different things. And they capture, like, in a comic book, they capture, like, five pages of panels in, like, one 60-second long shot and it's like yeah. holy mo- i've never it's seen this unbroken. in movie before you know, it's not it's unbroken yeah. and it just it felt like they just they tapped into the source and just delivered it straight into my heart and i just was so exultant when i saw it i just i just i felt that magic that been- moment bill when when cap turns and looks at the camera and there's all of them right and it's like it, we get it like here it avengers is avengers assemble right <laughs> and chris is not wrong yeah you know, one of the reasons why it feels right, too, there's something else interesting happening in that unbroken shot, Bill. Yeah. By that time that that happens, everybody's taken the original assignment that they've gotten from Captain America. They pretty much, like, wrapped it up and moved on to the next thing to help their teammates. So, like, yeah. you know, remember that, like, Thor was supposed to go and, like, clog the portal. No, he didn't do that. He ended, you know, he started to do it, and then like Black Widow realized, oh crap! Like, yeah. I, I I need to get off the ground here where Cap told me to yeah. be, and I need to go up there and figure out a way to close the portal. Because yeah. Thor just came down and started, you know, helping uh, the Hulk. You know, it's like yeah. everybody shifts their role to kind of help one another and make sure one another doesn't get their butts kicked. So like, yeah. that's another reason why it starts to feel like they're gelling as a team. Yeah. Another reason to get behind them, you know? Yeah. That's what always happens in a good group comic book. Mm-hmm. You know, in a team comic book, they they back each other up. They, they fix each other's problems. Yeah. X-Men was, you know, always about that. To that point, the MCU is an ongoing masterclass in earned moments great moments of payoff that you believe in your core because it set it up perfectly and they made you wait for it and they it it has the interest it needs to actually pay off properly and 
by the time our heroes do gel at the end of Avengers, you've seen them how you've seen how great they can be. You've seen them, but you've seen them fighting each other. You see them not getting along. You see them friction, you know, and you're like, oh, guys, can you just can you just make it happen? And when it does make it happen, finally, it feels so right. Even with all that, that great tracking shot, it starts from when Black Widow gets an alley-oop onto one of those Chachari flying sleds, right? And then it goes around all sorts of chaos. And it ends with the Hulk and Thor crashing into a building, right? And they get up and they're like, And there's this great shot where Hulk just goes, pow! <laughs> it's like, it just like cheap shots Thor out of the frame. <laughs> it's like, it's a, such a funny thing. It's like, it's so, it so works so well. But like, it's so funny because they set things up so perfectly. And I have to say, that's no mean feat for a movie that managed to juggle all these disparate elements, managed to tell so many stories, managed to wind together so many characters in such an intricate way with nobody taking over too much of the scene. And in all this, I'd like to add, we mentioned before how we didn't cover the Hulk in this episode. The Avengers was kind of like a soft reboot of the Hulk character because Ed Norton wasn't playing him anymore. So they had to kind of reintroduce the Hulk, give him a little time and make us buy into him. And we did. And so when the Hulk, <laughs> when the Hulk just grabs Loki and just ragdolls, puny, I, Hulk, puny, yeah, God. puny God, Tom, I hear what you're saying about how great it was just to get up and scream in, in a theater by yourself. But I, I would tell you, I kind of feel bad for you only because I have experienced so many wonderful theater moments from MC <laughs> movies with people around me going completely bananas at a great moment. And when oh, don't get me wrong, I went back and I saw it with with a full theater. But okay, good, good, good. (laughs) Okay, I feel okay, excellent. That that's a weight off my shoulders. When he just you know, like Tom Hiddleston's like enough and just browbeats the Hulk and the Hulk just slams him. I'm a god. The theater, I mean, it was tectonic. The reaction, I have not seen. Oh yeah, I, I will tell you, I don't think I remember seeing a scene where the audience reacted with that much as pure joy what they were seeing they're so invested they so believed it probably since like i don't know man like when the first death star blew up seriously i I mean it had been that long it had been that long since i saw a crowd who was so they had so suspended the disbelief the geeks and the newcomers alike were all on equal ground and they were just they were drinking right from the source and there was a single cynical eyebrow raised and everybody was like just hit me and we got it and like whoa i just went Bill, i gotta tell you i gotta tell you the moment the moment that that happened i was watching with my brother and i remember turning my brother and i said this is all we've ever wanted yeah right like this yeah. is this is everything i believe the term they used in the newspaper was nerdgasm but uh, i didn't take offense <laughs> to that tom is there another moment from the avengers that, that really stuck out to you i did like the thor iron man fight scene i mean like <laughs> From the moment, like, you know, Thor's having the serious talk with his brother and it's like, dunk, and suddenly he's out of the frame and everybody's like, what the hell just happened? Look, like, he's like, I'm listening. As only as only a, a, a torpy little brother can do. <laughs> you know, and then you got the whole, like, Shakespeare in the park, you know, doth, him out, doth mother know you weareth her drapes. Yeah. That thing, like, hilarious. And then they yeah. just they throw down, like, oh my, like, that is a serious, serious throwdown. You yeah. end up, like, hitting cat's shield with mjolnir and then like leveling forest like that was a throwdown <laughs> yeah and the sound that comes off of cap shield when that happens is it's this 
it's like one of those like like there's like a catalog of like geek uber noises from the movies right we're talking like right. yeah this is in the catalog and this is in that catalog it's just that it's like a it's like a church bell from some other dimension just ringing it's just it's so deep you feel it in your bones it was like wow this is what happens when you hit vibranium with a magical weapon like Get it. yeah the moment that, yeah. that that cap is up on the quinjet and scarlett johansson and, and black widow says i might sit this one out and cap's like i can't i gotta go down there yeah and it's like there are gods and guys in iron suits down there like, and she's like, like dude just like sit this one out. yeah it's like you know what like, i don't nope. do is sit things out <laughs> i don't sit things out i'm down there i'm going down yeah, that's why he's the out. best avenger well, and, you know, the, and like the third best yeah. Avenger goes down there and he he does the <laughs> substitute teacher bull down there. And he does yeah. the, like the, all right, guys, settle down. There's a blink and you miss a detail when he shows up. He he throws his shield and it bounces off Thor's head and Iron Man's head and then back to him. <laughs> it's like, it's like, knock it off. It's just, and the guys are like, what? Masses. But you know, the thing is, the effects in the MC movies in general are just really superior, right? And the movies look so fantastic. It's just replete with all these little visual details that they had to work really hard to work in that they didn't have to work in, but they did. And they always want to make sure they pack in some little detail that kind of enriches the experience. The Marvel Universe movies have this delightful tradition of the big mid-credit, end-credit bonus scenes, right? They kind of give you a sense of what's to come. And it's such an integral part of this created, this massive shared universe. Like you always watch a movie knowing that it's going to set up for something else to come. And by the time we get to Avengers, they're like fully committed. Like, no, no, we've got this formula unlocked. We can do this. And what do they give us? They introduce Thanos at the end of Avengers. And anybody who knows who Thanos is, wait a minute, what the minute, who the hell, the what? I mean, just heads are, I mean, we're not, we're already in a vulnerable space. We're kind of exhausted, right? We're kind of, we've been, we've been blasted to smithereens by all the greatness we've seen. And then they hit us with Thanos and we're like, those who know are not prepared. Like they're setting up something that they don't mean to pay off on for another like 15 movies or something like that. Like it's just the beginning. Mm -hmm. It made you feel like everything you grew up with had been done just for you so happy that like my kids get this and yeah they don't get like a lot of the disappointment that like we had to go through and you know like again it's like they're like normal movies now like you know at the end of endgame my wife was practically crying and you know there was like one of the first marvel movies she had joined us for i always you know take my kids and she you know happened to come along for this one and she said she's like this was a good movie and yeah. like, you know, now you can, yeah, again, it's like A-list talent, you know, the writing's like fantastic, the effects, the visuals, everything's just like delicious. And they could be normal movies now, you know, like they don't yeah. have to be this geek yeah. thing that like, you know, you have to be the guy, you know, who, who adds the star because, you know, he read the comics. has a podcast. They're, they're stories in and of themselves now. And it's yeah. just, you know, like you don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to, you know, be that guy who's got to explain it to everybody. It's all like right there. <laughs> well, Tom, I, I love what you had to say. And that really cues up my final thought quite perfectly. It's hard to close the book on something like phase one, knowing just how many more phases follow it. But it is easy to look back upon these movies, especially when you're older geeks like ourselves and feel this deep sense of gratitude that Tom had mentioned. There have been plenty of superhero movies before the MCU talking Christopher Reeve Superman movies, Christopher Nolan Batman movies, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, X-Men movies, all the things we mentioned before. And they all kind of stand out as notable examples of movies that, that, that you know, in various ways worked. 
But as good as these movies and others have been, they all suffered from the same critical shortcoming. And for me, it was, they never felt like comic book movies. They always felt like movies based on comic books. And somewhere along the line, they all seem to lose something in translation from the energy and the excitement and the effervescence that I felt when enjoying my favorite superhero stories on the page. For a long time, I figured this is simply as good as superhero movies could really be. Maybe there was something about superheroes that you know, was harder to translate than simply the, the costumes and the, the special effects. Maybe the stories just didn't come to the screen as purely as I had hoped they always could. And this is what we've been talking about. Like the MCU came along for me, especially when that hope of mine was this tiny dying ember in my heart, right? I was ready to give up on the whole notion. But from the moment I walked out of Iron Man to the moment I sat in wide-eyed excitement as the Avengers began rolling, I knew I was enjoying something that was truly special. And I was seeing the comic book movies I had long hoped for at last. I felt like I was being rewarded for some great deed I hadn't actually accomplished other than being patient. And the thing about it, that was so great was it was seeing, you know, to your point, Tom, it was seeing how many people around me who were loving these movies too. There are fellow comic book fans, sure, but more importantly, there are legions of folks who couldn't quote some side character's first appearance by issue, right? They couldn't say who their five favorite pencilers and three favorite inkers were. These were folks who were welcomed into an elaborate imaginary world. They were given every opportunity to find new ways to enjoy it. They could unwrap at any time. And never once were they told that they had to pay their dues before diving in. And for me, Marvel superheroes have always been more than entertainment, to be honest. They've been this ever-present reminder of what ideals that these heroes and heroines truly embody. They remind anybody who cares to pay attention that the things that make Iron Man, the Hulk, Thor, Captain America, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Nick Fury, the things that make these people heroic are the same things that also have a home in our own hearts, even if we don't have superpowers. It's that willingness to think of others before ourselves. It's a dedication to put our gifts, no matter what they may be, to their truest, best purpose. And it's a willingness to face what is in front of us so that we can protect what is behind us. And you know what? That means that these stories are really meant for everyone. Stan Lee knew that from the very beginning, and that hasn't changed one little bit now. Excelsior. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com.